receive. As I pray for this church, and I do pray for this church, and I come across that I repeatedly come across this uh, this acronym S O W. So I can't help but think of the W as worship. I, that's just what comes to me. because really isn't that what we're doing? Isn't the 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 witness a response, right? To worship, it's all about worship. It's all about worship. Um, our marriage is about worship. Everything we do is about worship. And as we worship the Father, we respond by wanting to witness about His Son and tell others. So may God during this time. Fill us up like a sponge and wring us out over the world throughout the week. So may we, in a world that's becoming increasingly weird, may we be the light, right, in the darkness, pointing people to Christ. Um, in that vein, real quickly, let me give a testimony. You mentioned giving testimonies later. I won't be there, so let me get one now. <clears throat> My son, I have I have ten children, six of them are boys. Number two, that's what I call him sometimes. <laughs> Number two, his name's Jake. And Jake, uh, in, in, 2000, um, in 2004, he left the home for the Marine Corps. He was not a believer. He was rebellious in his heart, maybe not outwardly, but in his heart. And his, him and his brother uh, went to the Marine Corps together. And he went to Iraq, as you may remember at that time. That was when they, everything was going hot and heavy over in Iraq. And I prayed for him, Carl and I prayed for him that God would draw his heart to himself. We prayed fervently for him. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. Five years went by. Ten years went by. Fifteen years went by. And I have to admit that my faith was waning on this because I didn't see any response from him whatsoever. By this time, he had moved back home. He was out of the military. He lived here in Wichita. He still does. He works at the company that I work at. Uh, we see each other on occasion at work. We have a very good relationship. But he would have nothing to do with spiritual things. Nothing. And then... Last summer, and I won't go into the details of this because it would take me too long, but God drew his heart to himself in, in the strangest Amen. way and from the a most unexpected source. And not not just, I mean, he is he's a challenge to me spiritually today. And the, the kinds of conversations we have is just, and so yes, yesterday, he, would, he came over. He said, Dad, my partner, he, he works with a partner at work. There's two guys that work together all the time. He's worked with this guy for six years. So these guys are real close. They've been over to each other's houses and their families. And I mean, they're, they're close. And he wanted to know how he could share Christ with this guy. What would be the best way to go about it? 
And so he's he's starting to feel that, you know, that, that drive, that that response to worship, to witness to this guy. And that just warmed my heart that he's he's doing that. So and I reminded him yesterday, and I'll remind you, that evangelism is never complete until those evangelized become evangelists. And that's what he's doing. And so praise God uh, that he he praise God that he led your pastor to do this summer of of witness because that is what we need to focus on, right? That is what we need to do. Alright, well, let me uh, begin by um, the, the title of my message today is the principle of receiving. And so I just wanted to talk to you about because in this weird time that we live in, we the world needs a rock. Something that doesn't move. Because there's so much that's moving. Definitions of words are moving. <laughs> Everything we thought was unmovable is moving. The church can't move. It needs to be the rock. One of the things my son told me the other day, number two, is that during that time where it was a dark time for him, he knew that Carl and I had not moved spiritually. And that helped. That helped him you know, many times. And that's what we need to be as a church. The one that doesn't move during this time. We need to be solid. We need to be the place that's like an oasis. We need to be the place that always speaks to the truth. Always puts the truth out there. The place that demonstrates God's characteristics, which seems to be so far from our society these days. Because I would say we live in a post-Christian nation right now. I would just say that. Maybe a, a radical statement, but I, I think we are living in that kind of a, a nation. All the more reason for this group, this community, to be solid. And so what I want to share with you today is one of those things that helps get us there to be more solid, to be that place where people can come and they see Christ. The principle of receiving started in Genesis because uh, it, it wasn't taught there, but it was demonstrated there. When God created Adam, He took him and He put him to sleep and took a rib from him and formed Eve. And then Adam wakes up. And there she is. And so the first thing he says to her was not exactly the most romantic thing a man has ever said to his wife. He looked at her and said, you are now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Okay. It's not probably what I would have thought of. But, it, but in essence, he was it was really a good thing because what he was communicating was the principle of receiving. He recognized you are a gift from God to me. The apparent flaws that I see in you, God has uniquely designed in you to work on the flaws in me. 
God thinks that far ahead. And He gives people to us as gifts from Him to work on us, to fulfill that promise He made to conform us into the image of His Son. So that's, in a, in a nutshell, the principle of receiving. So, Paul breaches this subject, and we're going to go to Romans chapter 14. And I would say that, that if I was the one dividing the Bible, I'm, I'm sure some of you have done this, where you say, okay, I wouldn't have divided it there. I would have started in 13 verse 8 and gone to 15 verse 6, but I, I would have made that chapter 14. But it, we're going to just, for the sake of ease, we're, just saying, you know, we're going to turn to chapter 14. But, uh, first of all, it, to this church in Rome, Paul sees a need, and he wants to meet that need in this church, and he actually starts back in chapter 13. Chapter 13 of Romans, you kind of usually think of that chapter as, okay, we're to be you know, under the authority of the government and, and all that. But you get to verse 8 of chapter 13, and Paul breaches this subject. He says... I'm sorry, not, not I'm sorry, not chapter 13. Let's go back further. Because he started further earlier than in chapter 12, where he goes over the over the gifts that God gives through the Spirit. And in chapter 12, he breaches the subject of I I believe this principle of receiving, this whole idea. In verse 3 of chapter 12, he says, For though the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body and all members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. So, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, his service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, and he who uh, shows mercy with cheerfulness. So he gives all this to show the oneness of the body. Then he proceeds to put feet to the definition he gave to the Corinthian church. Remember in 1 Corinthians 13, he gives this definition, love is this, love is this, love is this, love is not this, love is not this. He gives this definition of love. Well, you take those and marry them in with Romans, 4, or Romans 12 here, starting in verse 9. And here, Paul puts feet to it. Here he tells you what it looks like. Not the definition per se, but what it looks like in life. Because he says in verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. He says to abhor what is evil and to cling to what is good. He says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. So he's given all this he goes on, he says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. 
be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty-minded, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. And if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So, that's in chapter 12. Then he goes to chapter 13 and talks a little bit about the government and our responsibility with it. And then in verse 8 of chapter 13, he says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this you shall, for this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in the saying, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, here in chapter 14, our text for this morning, Paul is still giving yet another exposition on how to live out this thing called sacrificial love, a topic that he raised back in chapter 12. We need, we find Paul addressing two groups of people in the church in chapter 14 that when in a carnal state just don't get along with one another and they usually end up bringing reproach to Christ. One he calls the strong and the other he calls the weak. Notice that Paul assumes makes an assumption that both of these are present in the same church. He has certain expectations for both. And this is his purpose in this particular section of his letter to this church. And so, let's look at, first of all, on the one side, those he calls the strong, those who have knowledge over in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 where he addresses this a little bit, not to the same extent, but a little bit over into the Corinthian church. He calls them those who have knowledge. So he calls them the strong here. Um, and so who are they? The strong are those who believe that the Bible gives them freedom concerning issues such as how long a skirt should be, whether or not it's, it's uh, it looks okay to wear a dress with a slit in it or other standards that affect those around you such as what I should eat whether I should eat meat or not uh, and in their day whether I should eat meat that's offered to idols which was a thing at that time or whether your children should go to this school or that school or homeschool or whatever you just pick the issues these kinds of issues And so, they're instructed by Paul here in Romans 14 not to judge those who hold a different standard. 
maybe a tighter standard, maybe a, a seemingly higher standard. They're instructed not to judge their opinions specifically. Um, look in verse 1. He says, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. So the strong are instructed not to judge, but they're also instructed they're not to despise those who have this other standard, for God has received them. Look at verse 3. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Now, it would be easy to feel this way if whenever you are around this person and their standard makes you change your behavior, you could, if you were not doing this out of love, end up resenting them because they're causing you to change your behavior. But this would be the highest of selfishness according to Paul. Skip over to chapter 15 first three verses of chapter 15. Very interesting verses. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. That sounds very similar to what he wrote to the Philippian church in chapter 2 of Philippians. Verse 2 says, Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. You see how this is like a, always looking to him. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Alright, so what else does Paul have to say to the strong? About the strong. The strong are to be fully persuaded in their own mind. Look at verse 5 of chapter 14. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. And so this person, this, the person who is the strong, who, who, who after studying the Scriptures, believes that he is, has freedom in a particular area that others do not feel freedom, he is not to come to the conclusion that he has by just following other people. He is to search the Scriptures. Wise men of faith, both living and dead, church history, and come to a conclusion based upon this. And not just uh, believing talking points from other people. Paul has more to say to the about the uh, the strong. The strong are not to judge those with a different standard at all. Look at verse ten. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Now note that Paul started this chapter by speaking to the one who has freedom in a given matter, and he is still addressing that person here. Verse 10. 
not to judge those with a different standard. He has more to say to about the uh, about the strong. He says that they are not to put a stumbling block in their brother's way. Look at verses 13 through 15. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to determine this, not to put a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food, and he just pulls out one issue here, if for if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. It couldn't be clearer than that. That was as clear as a sentence as I've read in this whole thing. Do not destroy with your food or with this issue him for whom Christ died. Another believer, another brother in Christ. Or sister. Those, basically, those who judge are acting for self. But those who refuse to cause a brother to stumble are selfless. This is love in action. When we refuse to cause a brother to stumble. And then, Paul gives another, uh, some more information about the, the strong. That they must live in peace and seek to edify or build up one another. Another injunction to the strong. Look at verse 19. So then, we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. You see, if you demand that others must change to accommodate your freedom, then that tears them down. It does not build them up. He goes on to give more. That the strong must realize that that which is okay for you will become sin if you offend a brother with it. Look at verse 20. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food or this issue, whatever it is. All things indeed are, are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. So you have a man who as a standard that's different than yours. And it would offend him if you did this in his presence. Why would you tear down the work of God for the sake of this issue? Yes, all things indeed are clean. But they can become evil to the man who eats and gives offense. Finally, he says, that the, the strong must keep their standards that are practiced in freedom in private. They are not to practice them when they know that it is possible that those who have a different standard are going to be present. Look at verse 22. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. 
Now understand this about Paul. When we're talking about issues that touch the gospel, alright, when we're talking about what who is a Christian who's not? The gospel according to Christ. The gospel that Paul taught them. He has very strong words for those who teach a different gospel. Very strong words. Go to Galatians chapter 1 and you'll see how strong a words he can use. But here he's not talking about those kinds of issues. He's talking about things that we should allow, that we should, uh, that we should overlook in people and allow God to work in their hearts. So here's what Paul says about the weak. About the weak, okay? We've talked a lot about the strong. Here's what Paul says about the weak. The weak are those that believe that the Bible does not give them freedom to practice in a certain way, such as when does a person step over into immodesty when choosing what to wear or in what he should or shouldn't eat, or etc. These kinds of things. Paul instructs the weak, gives them instructions as well. He instructs the weak that they are not to judge those who believe that they have freedom in an issue because God has received them. Back to the same verse that we read earlier, verse 3. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats because God has accepted him. But also in verse 13. Verse 13 says, Therefore let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put a stumbling, an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. And then finally, God instructs the weak that the weak are to be fully persuaded in their mind as well. Back to verse 5. One person regards one day above another, Another regards every day alike. So he kind of flipped them from that other example. Each person, that's both sides, the weak and the strong, must be fully convinced in his own mind. Okay, so, so what is Paul basically saying to the strong? Just to the strong. What is he saying to them? Because remember, he's assuming that both of these are in the same church. They need to get along. They need to show love to each other. Here's what he's saying. Four things. To the, to the strong. If you have searched out the scriptures and have been fully persuaded in your mind that you have freedom in an area that others do not, then you are to keep this to yourself and not in any way encourage the other person to change their standard to meet your standard. This would be causing them to be tempted to go against their conscience. Also, you are to be willing to do this even if it involves great sacrifice on your behalf to do it. Also, number three, you are to do it with a willing heart not condemning your brother for his standards. Thanking God for him, for he is a gift from God to the church. 
Herein is the principle of receiving. Realizing that God has given them to the church as a gift to the church. Therefore, if, number four, therefore if someone approaches you with an area that is offensive to them, your reaction is important. And it should be one of reception, love, and cooperation to change your lifestyle whenever you might be around this brother or sister. Never forgetting that his standard may just possibly be the more biblical of the two. So what is Paul basically saying to the weak in, in the church? Those who believe that they, they don't have freedoms in certain areas. Well, if you search out the Scriptures and have been fully persuaded in your mind that you do not have freedom in an area where others do, then you are not to judge them for their differing standards. Remembering and keeping in mind that their standard also may just be the more biblical of the two. Therefore, when you approach them about that which is offensive to you, you must do so with humility and grace. So, what would happen if we fail in this area that Paul's bringing up here? Well, we end up despising that which God has received. Verse 3. We end up causing our brothers in Christ much grief in verse 15. We end up becoming a reproach against Christ according to verse 16. We end up trading the eternal for that which is temporal and petty in verse 17. We end up rejoicing and the acceptance of excuse me, we end up rejecting the acceptance of Christ for the approval of men. We end up putting ourselves in a position where we cannot glorify God with one mind and with one mouth. What a tragic state for the church to be found in who finds themselves in this situation. So I'm asking you all as God has asked me can you make the following commitments to him can you commit to love one another especially when it costs you much to do so can we all commit to diligently study the scriptures on any given issue, including seeking the balance of other godly men, both now and down through history. Can we commit ourselves to be students of the Word? Particularly when it comes to issues that we live with every day. And then finally, can we all commit to receive one another as Christ has received us in order that ultimately God gets the glory. That is the principle of receiving.
Okay, let's spend a few minutes of quiet meditation. Think about these commitments and what God would have you to do in your own life. You'll turn in your Psalters to 456. We will sing Jesus, what a friend for sinners. 